It's not the, it's not the um, you know, those that have got a good brain. It's not those that are charismatic. It's not those that are great, you know, speakers and teachers. It's none of that. The, the, the fact is that God calls people because he loves people. And when he calls people, he calls them to himself. The, and so we explained last week, it's actually Jesus who's calling us. It's not some random, mythical, spiritual, I don't know what. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the risen man. It's the one who came from God, born of a virgin, lived, ministered under the power of the Holy Spirit, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and on the third day was resurrected and spent the next 40-something days running around teaching everyone on the kingdom of God, how to heal the sick, how to drive out demons, how to feed the poor and proclaim good news. And then he sent them across the earth to go and do that in his name. And then, having done that, ascended to be with the Father, beside whom he now rules and reigns and intercedes for, for his church and prays for his people. Um, you know, have you ever stopped to listen to the prayer that Jesus is actually praying for you? Have you actually, like today, like right now? Because the scriptures tell us that the risen man, the risen living Jesus Christ, is now living to intercede. He's, he's crying out to the Father for your greater well-being and good. Have you, have you stopped and said, Jesus, what are you praying for me today before the Father? To even think that, you know, I think it was King David who, used a, who wrote in the psalm, he used an illustration, he says, greater than all of the sand, you know, the sands on the earth, is how often you're thinking on me, O God. You've been to the beach this summer, haven't you? You may be gone for a walk took the shoes off, went for a little, you know, little wade along the edge of the water. Some of you may have gone in and gone for a swim. But in, inevitably, whenever you go anywhere near the beach, it always ends up with sand in the car, sand in your shoes, sand in your jocks, if you hang out in the beach enough. Sand gets everywhere. David said, There's, greater than all of the sand on the earth is so much are your thoughts on me, O God. I can't count how much God is thinking on me today. Jesus Christ, the risen, living Son of Man, is living, thinking, praying, and interceding for your well-being and for mine today. And not just for you. He's interceding for the person you're sitting next to. He's interceding for the person that you drove past on the way to get here today to the vineyard that you kind of looked at and went, what's that loser's problem? He's interceding for them too. He's interceding for the entire world. He's interceding for your marriages, for your children, and for your grandchildren. He is interceding. Have we stopped? It's Jesus who's calling us. And we're not just called by Jesus, we're called to Jesus, to this relationship that has this intimacy about it, this communion that we spoke about last week. It's this relationship where we're called to obey Jesus. And, it's, and this is where discipleship really kicks in, where that compelling love, that, that compelling love of God gets a hold of our life. And we can't respond in any other way than this is so strong and demanding of me, I will say yes to you, knowing that it will cost me, it will cost me to say yes to you, O oh God. And so we choose to obey him. 
this unconditional love for God. And we also spoke about a life, being called is, is to be called into a life of service. And we think about James. We looked at James, the brother of Jesus, who if, any, if anyone could have had a tag, a public tag or a drop a name, like I'm someone because I know him, it could have been James. But James didn't drop any names. Other than he said, I am a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James 1.1 is how he describes himself. And, and we use that Wimberism of where John Wimber once said, I'm simply a coin in the pocket of God and he can spend me however he chooses. So we looked at those four aspects last week. And I, I want to pick up a few more this week. And now, now look, last weekend, you know, we're swimming at the sort of the, the knee-deep end of the pool. Okay, we're just going to go a little deeper. We'll probably get up around the, around the chin and you might even have to arch your neck up a little bit because the water's starting to get a little, it's starting to wash over you. Okay, but this morning we're going to take our discipleship journey just a bit further into what it means to be called by God. One of the great challenges we have of living in Western culture is that our whole economy, our whole life and everything that we, that, that is, ba- you know, our whole daily endeavors and government is based upon is consumption consumption our 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 national economy its health and well-being is is um is based upon the appetite that china has for our natural resources based on how much they consume depends on what we get paid and the fruit of that and the wealth of that comes back to our nation, to the people working here, and then the people working here, we get to then go and spend that on our goods and services. And then we start to consume for ourselves. Now, there's a whole bunch of people that I probably don't need to point out to you who spend all of their money trying to buy your attention, to buy your resources. It's called advertising and marketing, and they're very good at it. They tell you, you've got to have so much money in reserve, otherwise you're going to live an unhappy life. You've got, to, you've got to have this type of vehicle. You've got to live in that kind of house. You've got to have this, this kind of appearance. You've got to spend time, you know, augmenting your body so that you look like this as opposed to that. I mean, there's... And, and, and we start to consume, consume, consume. You've got to buy this food if you want to have a truly happy meal. I know there's a lot of different steakhouses out there, but this steakhouse, if you come to this steakhouse, that is the one where you want to spend your money and make you consume, consume food. We live in this consumption-based economy. And actually, a lot, unfortunately, for, for many of us as Western Christians, we've actually transferred that kind of thinking into our spiritual life where we think our spiritual life is all about consuming things to make us feel better. That's, that's actually the lie. <laughs> but unfortunately, we buy it. We buy it all the time. And the, the lie is, um, come, come to God, spend all your stuff, uh, you know, spend your time, energy and resource on a spiritual experience that will make you feel happy. That is not, that's, not, that's not in the Bible. That's not even in the Bible. So I don't know where it became a message that everyone's pursuing because it didn't come from the Bible. The Bible's message is that the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a new ruler and reign. There is a new king who, ha- who is inviting people to come into an economy of God a spiritual life of God, both in this world and into the age to come. 
where you can actually stop making yourself the center of your world. And you can actually, you know that saying, I say it, <laughs> it's a bit of an ism that we use in our house a lot. And we, you know, we say it to each other as a bit of a joke these days. But often, you know, when anyone in our family starts, you know, rabbiting on a bit too much about themselves, we just say this to them. We say, get over yourself. Would you just hurry up and get over yourself? And then we can actually have relationship again. Well, that's, this, is what it, this is what the call of the message of the kingdom of God is in Jesus Christ. Get over yourself. Give your life away for the life of the kingdom, for the life of God that we were always meant to have and be set free from the lie and the scheme and the works of the enemy to have to make your life and happiness based around consumption. So here we go. The call to Jesus is a call to a simpler life. Hmm. A simpler life. The, the very thing I hear all the time as, you know, I'm in my mid-40s now and, you know, in my conversation with my peers, it's like, if anything, life is not getting simpler. This thing feels like it's harder to do from the day when we first said yes to Jesus in our late teens and early 20s where it was simple then. It seemed like it was simple then. Life seems so much harder now. But it's a call to a simpler life, to tr learning this journey of trusting God who knows what we need and has our well-being on the forefront of his thinking and leanings and actions towards you and I and towards people around us. It's learning to trust God. This week, a good friend of mine um, had some good news, some really great news. We, we, we'd spent some time talking and praying together in early November last year. And as we spent time talking and praying together, he was telling me about some of the difficulties he was having with his workplace environment. And in fact, in his workplace, they were cutting back his work hours. Now, this left him in a very difficult position because on a practical level, he has a family to care for. He has children to look after. And so his primary concern is, if I'm losing work, going from four days a week work down to two days a week, I'm, I'm losing, I, how am I going to service the well-being of my family? Well, we prayed about that, we, we talked about that, and, um, you know, we strategized together a bit, and then, well, anyway, yesterday, I was able to contact him, and I found out that yesterday... God had seen fit to find him another job in the same field where he doesn't have to leave his original job, but now in the same field of vocation, so he doesn't have to go and get retooled in any way. He has now picked up another two days a week in the same field of vocation, plus he's got a, a, a third workplace as well, which is also in the same field of vocation. So he's now got a full five days a week work and his family's well-being is going to be cared for. Now between November and the end of January we are, he, he, he did some sweating. He did some, oh God, where are you? He went on the journey of learning to trust God for the simpler, this is the simpler life where where. We can try and orchestrate, manage, bend, manipulate and control things so that we can minimise this sense of 
trust in God or we can lay ourselves abandoned to him and follow him when he's saying, come with me. I want to show you another way. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given you as well. The context of that one is that Jesus is addressing issues of anxiety and, and um, provision, that, that lack of provision and well-being raises anxiety in people's lives. And Jesus says, look, here's the key. Just, it's a simpler life. Just trust your heavenly Father. He knows what you need. He's pleased to give it to you. He's, he's asking that you would trust him in that way. I just thought that was such a wonderful story yesterday to be able to um, hear that good news from my friend as he's, as he's learning the simpler life. Now, the other part of this simpler life is one about traveling light. Now, most of our garage, you know, if you've got a garage at your place and if it's anything like mine, I have to work really hard to keep it empty. I hear a groan there in the, in the ranks. <laughs> I have to work really hard to keep my garage at home empty because you know what we do? We buy stuff and then we use stuff and then we store stuff and we have lots of stuff that gathers dust and does nothing, but it costs us everything. And then we just, every 12 months, we dust this stuff and then we move it from this part of the house to that part of the, or that part of the garage to that part of the garage, thinking we've done a great thing, but in fact we've divested of no stuff and we're still just as encumbered by it all. And every time the garage door goes up and we drive in, we look at it and go, oh, I should do something about that sometime. Am I the only one that lives like this? Okay, all right, I'm, all right we're together on this one. Well, Jesus... When Jesus, when Jesus offers people a life of his kingdom under his economy, where he's a good king, where he's a loving king, where he's a powerful king, where he's a wonderful king, and Ashley spoke about it just before, he's a king that wants to give people purpose. He's called you not just so that you can have life both now and forevermore and into the age to come. He's called you to himself because he's got a great plan, darn it. He's got a fantastic plan for you, each and every one of you. And it's to join him in seeing people come to him. It's to join with him in seeing people come to him. And the way he did that, let's, let's go to these guys in the, in, in the, in the book of uh, Luke. These are just some of the early disciples that Jesus has called to himself. And they've said, yes, they've given away family. They've given away their trades. They've given away the security of their resources of their life. They've risked it all. They've followed Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to them. Now, and the context to this too is a little bit like, now when I send you out there, it's going to feel like you're sheep among the wolves. Well, that sounds inviting, doesn't it, for a start? <laughs> sounds really inviting. But he says, he says this. Um, he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bread, no money, no tunic. So they went from village to village. Now don't, when you see those words, village to village, don't, don't do some third world picture thing. Imagine the main street of Strathpine, village. The main street of North Lakes, village. The main street of Petrie, village. They went from village to village, okay? They were, it was a developed working economy in its context where people were buying and selling and faith was coming alive in some people and there was all the, all the other gods and temples and taxes and ruling um, 
you know, authorities and governmental structures. It was all in play. Don't think about some, someone living in a hut, village to village. No, 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 no. Keep it, keep it right. And he told them, go from village to village, pre- and they went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Traveling light. See, when Jesus calls, he calls you to himself so that you can go with him. He calls you to himself so you can go with him. I've discovered that the longer you stay in one place, the harder it is to, ev- to begin to want to move beyond where you are. And it's a constant thing I'm having to pray. God, just unsettle the ground under my feet so that I can follow you and not be stuck. It's risky prayers. But Jesus says to travel light. The call to a simpler life is one that flows from direct love and purpose of Jesus. That, that we employ the resources that we do have for a great and noble work, a kingdom work, a work where all of the villages that we walk and work in every day would come to know the kingdom of God is at hand. Our schools, our children, our grandchildren, um, in the aged care facilities that we work and, and visit, that, that people would receive the reality that Jesus is a good king and lord of their life. It's a life of dependence upon the Father. It's a, supposed to be a simpler life. So if you're at the start of this year <laughs> and you're already looking down the barrel of so, trying to sort of gaze down the calendar a little and you're going, gosh, this thing's looking complex for this year, I, I invite you today in the name of Jesus Leave all of your perceived complexity about what you think this year has at hand and sacrifice it to Jesus and let him bring you into the simpler life where he will be at work for your well-being. He will be at work inviting you into the purposes for why you've even got breath that you might be a partner with God in seeing the world know that it is loved and important to God and that people would be set free that people's lives would be healed and people would be made new, all because of the grace and kindness of God. The simpler life. All right, we got that one? All right, this next one is not a fave of mine. I don't think it's a fave of anyone's. Call to suffering. The call to suffering. What? What? I thought this kingdom thing was all about healing. Amen, it is. But we live in this incredible tension, this incredible place of the fullness of the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ and healing is there. Shalom, wholeness, peace, transformed lives is there. And yet at the same time, there is still the, 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 the reality that sometimes it doesn't come when we would like it to come. And those spaces, those moments, those breakdowns in life and health and relationships and, and, and so forth, they are hard yards. They are hard yards to walk in. And you've all walked them. You've all walked them. Please, 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 please hear me when I say this. Our suffering and difficulty does not scare God away from us. He does not reject us in our suffering. He completely identifies with us. 
That is why in Philippians 2, it says that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and became one of us. He so incarnated and identified with humanity and took on the suffering and the sin of the world upon his flesh, on his mind and his heart. He took it all on. He understands brokenness and sickness and disease. It was all cast upon him on the cross in the Jesus event. He's not scared off by that stuff. If you look in the gospel accounts, all through them, where did Jesus go? Not to the healthy. Never to the healthy. He went to the sick. He went to the broken. He went to the dying. He went to the poor. And he challenged those who were well, who did have power, and who did have strength to get busy about what he was busy about, which is loving, caring, and bringing hope, life, and restoration, and dignity to those that were without. Suffering is not something that we kind of like to sort of like, yeah, put my hand up for that one. But there's a scripture here in Philippians 1.29 where Paul writes, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe on him, but to also suffer for him, since you are going through some of the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now the context there is the Philippian church is living in this Roman, Romanized colony. So Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. That's the catch cry. So then when the, when, the Christian, when the Christian confession hits the airways that there's this new confession in town and the confession is Jesus is Lord, it's a direct, it's a direct challenge to Caesar's power and authority and, and, and infrastructure and all of that over the land and over people's lives. And so there's these confessing Christians, these Jesus, these mad Jesus people. They are mad because they know if they make these confessions that, that, that government, businesses, all sorts of other spiritualities and interest groups and political groups will get busy about making life really, really hard for the follower of Jesus. Now, I highlighted that word struggle because that word struggle there in the Greek that Paul's pointing at there, it's, it's a word picture that he's grabbing. And the picture is of the great contest of the athletes. When the athletes would get together and there would be this field that they would meet on. The re- you know, the athletes are like wrestling, Greek wrestlers. Let's go with Greek wrestlers. Anyway, and so they would meet and the Greek wrestlers would contend and they would battle and they would struggle in front of the audience for victory. And Paul is using that same picture word. He's saying that, hey, hey, followers of Jesus, for those of you who are saying Jesus is Lord, you are now in the greatest spiritual contest of your life and it will actually be manifesting in your daily life and it won't be easy, it will be hard, you will get so much pushback. You will have people who will want to rob from you and beat you down and hold you down. Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians from prison. That's the problem. He's saying, you now hear I'm struggling? It's because I'm in prison right now for this gospel that we're telling the world is good news about. So suffering is a part of the deal. Um, 
I also wanted to just say this morning that when people are not healed, when people do not receive physiological healing, it really sucks and it really hurts. And often I just get the with it all. Because I want them to know that the rule and reign of King Jesus is real and powerful and there's all provision there. And for some reason, though, I find myself in the great struggle, the great contest of the kingdoms that are colliding over and in people's lives. And it is a wrestle. It is a battle. And ultimately, ultimately, Jesus Christ has won that for us in that death now has no longer got any sting associated with it because in the age to come, we will know complete transformation of our flesh and we will know healing, strength and wholeness. But he's also asked us to battle for that eternal experience in the earth right now. And that's really hard. I just, I love, I love that Josh is here this morning. Josh is a story. He's, he's been a part of this church now for 22 years, nearly 22 years. Well, Paul and Michelle have been a part of the church for 22 years, right from the get-go of this church. And jo- Josh is here, and he's a really important part of our church. And I, I don't know how many times we have before the Lord just asked for the kingdom to come and touch Josh's life and his body. I mean, just recently we had the story where, where Paul and rang me and Michelle rang me from hospital and he was very unwell. And, and they were told by the doctors, you need to come quickly because this looks like the end of Josh's life. And so we went and we prayed and they said, I said, I don't know anything else to pray at a time like this other than I put my hand on his chest And I spoke to his lungs and I said, lungs in the name of Jesus, receive the kingdom of God. Now there was no dramatic bolts of lightning. There was no dramatic power surges through the room. Although one of the people that were in the room, he told me afterwards that he saw saw an angel in the room. I didn't, but this other person that was in the room did. They saw an an angelic presence in the room. But and then within three days... Life was restored to, to Josh, and he's breathing and living again. And it's like the kingdom came for him. It was a really difficult moment. We have prayed, though, for more healing for him. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to be breaking through. And those moments, those moments really hurt. But don't shy away from them. Please don't shy away from them. Let the compassion of God drive you into them. Yes, it's hard. No, we don't have all the answers. Yes, we want to be obedient and pray. Jesus said in, in Matthew 9.36, after he's tearing around the countryside, praying for people, healing people everywhere, he said, it says he looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion mean, literally means to be wrenched deep in the bowel. Jesus was gripped deep in the bowel for those around him. 
That's what the compassion of God looks like. Where we get wrenched. It's like we, we get a taste of what's on God's heart for those that are in difficulty around us. And God, we say, God, give us your heart for the people around us. Well, let your life be prepared, the heart of your life to be wrenched with the heart of the Father that all things and all people would be restored unto him and that not one would be lost and that there would be life forevermore. God is patient and kind, not wanting for any to be lost. We experience suffering, not just physical suffering, but we also experience emotional suffering. And I say it like this. In November, my son was in hospital with viral meningitis. And while he's in hospital with viral meningitis, this little guy's body is just falling apart on him. And I'm in a helpless state and a very emotional state. It's as if, and this is, it's as if his pain, it's like a, there's nothing super spiritual about it, but it was like a point of identification. It was this point of, this really hurts. This is not meant to be this way. This is, this is, this is flesh. This is my flesh. This is my son. This is my child. This is my, this is not right. This is what it means to suffer. When one weeps, we all weep. When one is hurt, we hurt. That's what it means to be connected to the body of Christ. It's like when I kick my toe, I don't know, for some reason I get a hot flush up the back of my spine and my brain goes all like, ah! Because I'm this interconnected being. And that is what it means to be the people of Jesus. When one hurts, strangely, the rest of the body goes, oh, something's not right there. Something's not right for them. Something's, something's, I need to pray. I need to, I need to call. I need to go visit. I need to, I don't know, send an SMS. Just do something. I need to do something. Because they're harassed. Our lives are gripped with the heart of God. And we enter into that sense of suffering. See, I, I think God is a massive bleeding heart. He is a massive bleeding heart. And he wants all people to know his great love and kingdom for them. All right, enough on that one. Let's, um, let's just move on to this one. Called irrespective of um, qualifications. And I must say, these, these key points are in this book that Watson um, has written. Dave Watson's written it. It's a great book if you can find a copy of it. Might might be out of print. I'm not sure, but... But when we're called by God, we're called irrespective of qualification. And again, this is really countercultural, isn't it? Because to get anything anywhere in our context today, you, before anyone will let you do anything in any sort of sphere or workplace or social whatever, you've got to be qualified. You've got to have this qualification. You've got to have that card. You've got to have this. You've got to prove in yourself to do that. And therefore, you can now do these things. Well, when God calls us, he doesn't call us on the basis of our, our capacity to say, yeah, I'm, I've got the goods. <laughs> You're lucky you called me, God, because I got the goods. No. No, 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 no. It's his grace that's calling us, that's looking beyond all of the muck, junk, and everything else <laughs> that actually gets in the way of having relationship with God. And he says, hey, 
come to me, come to me. And in doing that, he then empowers us and endows us with his spirit. Have a listen to the words of Paul. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 99. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Just have a think about who you were before God called you. See, he's not calling you on the basis of, his, of our performance. He's calling us to himself on the basis of his love for us, his great, great love for us, his great, great love for us. God calls men. God calls women. God calls children. God calls people from every tribe, every language, every nation unto Jesus. God is calling the whole world, every man, woman, and child, and it's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's his grace that we can live a life under the power of his spirit. I'm just jumping through because I'm watching the clock here this morning. But we're also called into God's family, the church. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. There's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't go to a church, let me tell you. There is a lot of reasons. I... I reckon you could probably spit a few at me as well. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons. If you want to avoid hurt, don't go to a church. There's a lot of reasons for people not wanting to be in a church. If you don't want to be transparent, don't come to a church. If you don't want to deal with your sin and your junk, don't come to a church. If you want to learn to know what it means people can love you when they know your stuff and your junk that you're walking out of, if you're not prepared for that, don't come to a church. If you're not prepared to just continue to stand with people and stand with people and love people and love people and love people and learn to have the heart of God in it, don't come to a church. Please don't come to a church. There's a lot of people that say, oh, the church. The church, you guys are just a bunch of hypocrites. Look at you. You're in the courts all through Australia and all the, all the abuse, the institutional abuse. Oh, I have nothing to do with the church. It's the most unsafe place to be a part of. Have nothing to do with the church. It's so full of sin and just rubbish and abuse and power. Have nothing to do with the church. Well, if that's the way we're going to live, if we're going to use that as the measuring stick, the hypocrisy of men and women. If we're going to use that as a measuring stick or the, the risk of being hurt or endangered, if we're going to use that as a measuring stick, don't ever, whatever you do, drive in a car. Don't ever drive in a car. Don't ever drive in a car. Do you know how many accidents there are on the road every, every week? Please do not get in a car if you're going to use that as the measuring stick. Because we wouldn't want to have our, any hypocrisy about our life, would we? And for God's sake, don't get on an aeroplane. 
oh, please never swim at the beach. There are so many shark attacks. Do, do not go to the beach, whatever you do. I mean, if, is, is, that the, is that the measuring stick? Is that, is that how we're going to live? Are we going to live under that, the stupidity of lifting up that as the measuring stick by which we engage in life or engage with the church? No, we come here knowing we are. Have you, have you read the book? The people that Jesus hung with, the people that Jesus called, and the people that Jesus loved on and saw their lives become such a powerful witness of heaven on earth that eventually it completely tipped an entire Roman Empire over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of story in that big story. And you can read it in the books. The apostles, they didn't get on with each other half of the time. They had to go their separate ways from each other because they couldn't figure it out. They had broken relationships. But they, they, they chose to hung, hang in there with God's family on the earth. And when the, when the body doesn't come to church or belong to the fellowship of believers, it's like having that great family reunion and you know that Uncle Bill's not coming because he's got an issue with, I don't know, cousin so-and-so. <laughs> it's like the whole family gets together, but when you're together and Uncle Bill's not there, there's this sense in the room, you just know it. It's like... <sighs> but God calls us into his family, the church. We aren't a club. We aren't here to... I'm here because this is going to meet my needs. We are the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. And 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of this. It's a place where we share our stuff. We share our time, our energy, and our resources. It is the place where we share our hearts when life is great and when life is terrible. And in the midst of that, there's still a story of Jesus loving us, caring for us, walking us through it, that we choose to hang and be with each other and pray for each other. We choose to stay and embrace the pain and we grow up for the greater glory of God. Like embrace the pain. Yeah, gosh, you know, so-and-so over in row four, seat six, they really ticked me. But for the greater glory of God, change my heart, God. Change me. Make let your grace do a work in me. You, you know, you, you, you forgave the unforgivable in me by, by calling me to you in Jesus. Please, please do that in me so that I can get, get beyond this, get over myself and actually start to love people. And it's actually, the, the scripture says it's on the basis of how well that the people of Jesus do that. On the basis of that says the world would know, the world would know that Jesus is Lord. You know, I've been doing a bit of reading recently over the, over the January period on this um, stuff about the early church. And one of the wonderful things about the early church is they had a very strong sense of social solidarity. They had a very strong sense of, hey, we're in this. It's a bit like that. Um, I know some, some people kind of, it's, a, it's kind of a, um, it's a mysterious thing, but it's, it, it's like if, if you listen to people in um, 
sporting teams, Australian sporting teams, or in the Australian Defence Forces in any way, there is this kind of way of life together that even though you may not be the best of friends on the field, you will not abandon each other. You will not abandon each other because you are living for a greater good. You are serving for a greater good than your own. And in the context of that, you are transformed. And you choose to stand and remain and engage and serve. We stay and embrace this stuff and we grow up. And family, all of a sudden, is not about me, the wife and the kids. It's about the people of God in this world. One of the things... Um, one of the things that we do, and I saw it on Facebook feed this week, is you know that young actor, he was Spider-Man and then he played in Hacksaw Ridge um, as the, that um, army soldier. I can't think of his name. Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Well, he's just about to release another movie. And in this movie, he, he um, has had to prepare because he's playing the role of an, Ignace, an Ignatian priest of St. Ignatius, which is a Catholic order. And these guys, their heart, Ignatius's heart, was that the Muslim world would come to know Jesus. And these Ignatians, all they did was they trained with nothing. They literally took the scriptures literally, and they literally took no staff, no money, no extra tunic or bag. They, li- they would pair up, and they literally would go to other nations with nothing, Cr- go cross-culture, break through other spiritual entities to get there, and they would arrive and that they, they would lead people to Christ. And all over the world, the Ignatians had big impact, big institutions, hospitals, educational institutions, all through Europe and all through the Middle East, all through the world, these guys were busy. And they took nothing. But one of the things that um, Andrew um, Garfield had to do in this preparation for this role is he, he went and lived with the Ignatians for a period of time. You can see his story online. And he said, and someone was interviewing him on a, one of those night shows, late night TV shows, and they said, what did you think about all that? And he said, well, I fell in love with Jesus. He said, I didn't, I didn't know about Jesus but I fell in love with Jesus in the middle of all of this. But, but what does the Christian world do with that? The Christian world takes this guy who's an actor in Hollywood and then shoves him up and holds him up as the icon for the whole world to see. Like an Andrew Garfield, he's found Jesus Christ. You, Christian, you. That's not how they did it in the early church. What they did in the early church, and there's actually some accounts of some of the actors who were part of the Roman acting community who actually found Jesus Christ, and they, they actually then came and hid under the covering of the followers of Jesus as they were being drawn out from and away from their profession. Because the last thing the Christian community wanted was to put this person up as an icon and to have them elevated because everything else in their culture was being elevated over Jesus Christ. And so they took these actors and they, they drew them to themselves and the actors had to, they had to deal with issues of, well, what do I, can I still belong to the acting fraternity if I've got to play out all these sex scenes and things like that or, 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 drug and, or, or, or drunk scenes? And they go, how do I wrestle with the fact that I now f- 
follow Jesus. And the early church said to him, just leave it all and we'll look after you. And they did. They sacrificed their paycheck. They sacrificed their fame. They sacrificed their public identity, their vocation and trade. They sacrificed it all. They gave it all away. And do you know what happened as a result of that? And they actually chose to let the morality of God begin to inform their life. All of the other actors started saying, we want what they've got. We want that sense of family. We want that sense of life that they are getting from that community of Jesus people. And just lots of people came to God. So much so that a whole empire turned over. The church is not an optional extra. The church is the people of Jesus. If you know Jesus, you are a part of the church. And it's the opportunity for you to let the Lordship of King Jesus to shape you with his values, his priorities, and his power for the sake of the world. We exist as the church for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world. Not my sake. I've been saved. I'm living for the sake of the world. Listen to the prayer of Jesus to finish with. John 17, it's a beautiful prayer. He's praying about not just the church, but people who who are followers of him and people who are lost. And his prayer is that, Father, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. This is just before Jesus is crucified. May, may they also be in us so that the world would believe that you've sent me. Can you hear the, the heartbeat of, of relational commitment and solidarity and oneness that is in the heart of Jesus with, to have with the Father, with the Holy Spirit and to have with people? I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. See, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the world, for the sake of village Strathpine, for the sake of village Petrie, for the sake of village North Lakes. For the sake of Roth, Village Rothwell, for the sake of Queensland, for the sake of, 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 of Australia, for the sake of the world, for the sake that they would be one, Father. This being called to Jesus, this discipleship journey, it's, a, it's, it's full on. And 2017 is, is, is God is inviting us to be followers of his to be called by him, to hear him calling us to himself and to follow him. And so this year, please, please pick up the phone. Please pick up the phone. Give your life to Jesus. Let his intimacy and friendship transform you. Let the compelling nature of his love empower you. Come into the life of servant living, which is where the power and the glory of God rests on the servants. 
it's a chance again to simplify our life and not be overtaken with the consuming story of the world. But rather, knowing that our Father loves us and has all things that we need. It's a life where we are a people who are informed by the compassionate heart of God and we're prepared to engage where there is suffering and where there is hurt. And I didn't even mention it. And the scriptures remind us never to forget them and so I won't forget them now. The scriptures remind us never forget your brothers and sisters who are in prison for their faith. The scriptures remind us Don't forget them. Right now, while we sit on these lovely, comfortable, black padded chairs, there are brothers and sisters of ours who know Jesus, who are in places of great persecution and unrest. Some are losing their lives because they will not make another confession other than Jesus is Lord. And they will literally lose their life today because of that. Never forget them. Enter into the suffering of Jesus that the world would know. Let our hearts be gripped by the heart of God that we, want, we might stand with, pray for and identify with the whole church across planet Earth as she's seeking to witness to the reality of God's consuming love for people and, and the irrespective of qualifications. Thank goodness for that. I mean, thank goodness. Have you, I mean, you've got to read the book. You mean, even the... The apostles, I mean, those, they were like, at best, you know, <laughs> ordinary on their best day. But God went, you, Jesus said, you, follow me, come on. And we're called to be God's family, the church. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You've been called by Jesus. You've been called. If you would like to pick up the phone right now, whether it's for the first time or the millionth time, but you, you can clearly hear the phone ringing, God's calling you. Why don't you either just stand up where you are or put your hand up where you are. Just stand or put your hand up so that we can pray for you because I would like to pray for you this morning as we do that this morning. So either just stand up or, or um, put your hand up if you can hear the phone ringing. And you want to answer the call. This is about I'm, I'm giving my life over to the Lordship of Jesus. And his kingdom. Could you folks just, as you're standing there, can you just close your eyes? And those of us that are just around them that are standing right now, could you just just gently reach to that person that's just near you or beside you and just put your hand on, on, their, on them just to let them know we are with you in this. This is not something you're doing alone. We are with you in this. That's it. Just up back there. Thanks, Rebecca. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're calling people to Jesus this morning. And Jesus, we're just standing here as people just asking that you might come and meet with us. 
Lord Jesus, come and be my king. Here's my life. Here's my life for the first time. Here's my life for the hundredth time. Just here's my life. Here's my life. Would you please receive my life? And in exchange, would you graciously now, with your love and your kindness, forgive me and qualify me and empower me with your Holy Spirit to walk, to walk this life with your favor upon me. Thank you, Jesus, that you're interrupting my life today. Thank you that you're giving me purpose and life today. And in the name of Jesus, we speak forgiveness and freedom and we release, we release the purposes of God again to you. Let a vision come alive right now in our hearts of living with Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill them right now. Fill them. And I pray that there would be an associated, tangible, manifest power in this moment, be it in their heart or their mind or their body. But just touch them, Holy Spirit. Touch them with the power of the kingdom. Your greatness and courage, O oh God, let it come upon them. Let your greatness and your courage, O oh God, come upon them, I pray. Let them follow you, Jesus. Be filled. Be filled with the hope of God. Be filled with the glory of God. Be filled with the purposes of God. Be filled with the power of the Spirit. Be filled to be one who will contend for the name of Jesus and the greater glory of God in this earth that all people might know Jesus is Lord. Be filled. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.